Don't you wish you could sleep on clouds? Well, now you can with Art of Skywind's decor collection. Imagine diving into a warm, soft bed covered in beautiful heavenly clouds captured just for you by the sky himself. Well, go to artofskywind.com and get yours so you can sleep from cloud nine to 69. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Love Live Body. I'm your host with the most, Scott Wynn, and we're here to discuss a few things that I feel like are very important. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to talk to different professionals that work in images that deal with uh, body, beauty, sex, and um, I like what they do, how they found their way on that journey to be on that type of uh, profession and get a little bit of you know what their story is so with no further ado i'd like to introduce my first guest my guest is a sexual wellness coach she's an author she is a content creator and a podcaster and uh it's great advice it's a beautiful story about um you know being queer and part of the community and um being a latina and what health and wellness looks like. Um, please join me in welcoming Louise Costa. First off, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about how you got interested in doing work with the body. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I think when I first started exploring my own body was very early on. Um, and there was a lot of shaming that came, came with that, um, from my family for, for various reasons from cultural to religious. Um, and you know, in middle school, high school, your body starts changing for most people. My body started changing when I was like seven, eight, my boobs started coming in, you know, like I was eight with like double A's or whatever. Um, by the time I was like 12, I had, I had full, full blown size D cups. Um, so that really kind of brought a lot more awareness to my body. Um, and yeah, like I just kept exploring it because I, I was trying to understand like, why were old men hollering at me in the street when I was like so young, right? It's like, I'm a child, like that, that seems wrong to me. And like, yeah. um, you know, my, my queerness and exploring my sexuality and my body through that. Um, so it wasn't until I would say probably my freshman year in college that I was like, yeah, this thing called sexuality, this thing called the body, um, the field of studying this, because I didn't even know that that was a thing that you could like make a career out of studying the body and studying 
um, sexuality beyond like the medical field because I was pre-med going in. Um, that was when I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's play here because um, this is a, an area I've always found interesting. And I, I took as much <laughs> uh, curriculum and classes and seminars and webinars and you know, retreats and conferences around sexuality and opening up how we connect to the body, how we see the body. Um, and that really has brought me to where I am today. A great overview. Um, let's start from the beginning. Tell yeah. me a little bit about like where you're from and what your upbringing was like. Yeah. So I identify as Afro-Latinx and the way that that kind of breaks down is I have heritage from Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Spain, Venezuela, and Taino traditions, um, the indigenous tribe. And You know, <laughs> I was born in New York City and raised in the island. So it, it's very two different worlds. Um, and the way that uh, we relate to the body kind of in like a New York City environment is very different from how you relate to the body in Puerto Rico. <laughs> right. Right. So like one culturally and two like the spaces that I was residing in in both right because when I was here I was in a more liberal space um here being Puerto Rico no here in the states in the states I when I was in the states I was in a more liberal setting like in terms of my mom and in some ways the culture mm -hmm. um but liberal in in not in like, oh, let your body be seen. In Puerto Rico, it's more like liberal, like your body is just part of who, you're, who you are, just let it be seen. But I was living with my grandparents, which meant I was going to church, you know, five, six days a week. <laughs> um, very different, like, environments. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of contradictions. And I think that part of my experience is like this, um, emigrant, right. Emigrating from like Puerto Rico to the States back and forth several times throughout my life. Um, and that's also impacted how I relate to my body. Mm. Um, yeah. So I grew up on the Island. Um, I came and I did high school out here in the Bronx, that was shell shock. <laughs> um, I went to a pretty tough school, uh, managed to do pretty well despite that. And um, yeah, hmm. off to college I went. <laughs> so what are some of the maybe hidden stigmas or cultural habits um, that you see in the Latinx community when it comes to the body or to sexuality um well you know i think our bodies have been uh used right mm -hmm. um and manipulated in a way that how 
Latinx people are are perceived is very um, one-sided in that, for example, um, the, 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 the beer girls, right? Like Budweiser, Corona, like they were all Latinx bombshells, right? Right, okay. And you and you're given this like image even through like media of like think of actresses really famous actresses that are Latinx Salma Hayek that's a very specific look that Mm. is being sold as Latinx it is not a look that um, shows different body sizes it's not a look that shows different shades of brown Um, and definitely not blackness. Mm -hmm. So as someone who's Afro-Latinx, I think within the Latino culture, there's a lot of anti-blackness and internalized oppression that shows up through the body, right? In the ways that we hide certain bodies from the media or like um, portray certain bodies to be one thing that they're not always like not every curvaceous Latina is gonna be a Budweiser girl and just because she's a Budweiser girl doesn't mean she's a slut but that's the linking kind of just keeps going right like there's all these like um you know the loose Latina um loose woman I mean I I would say it's beyond just Latinas Um, all these archetypes. Um, one specific thing I think is like we have a lot more uh, gender, <laughs> gender norms and gendered language that is hard, especially in 2020 when so many people are trying to redefine who they are and really come fully into their, their beingness we don't have gender neutral language. We don't have um, like an acceptance of more gender neutral ways of being, right? Mm -hmm. Like women, there's a lot of expectations on women and a lot of expectations on men and there's not um, so much space in between. And that's cultural. Those those expectations are like the the number, I guess, top two, top three expectations for men and women. Men are aggressive, women are docile, um, you know, outspoken versus quiet. Um, even here where I'm currently at in Mexico, I see it like a lot of women don't talk to other women or anyone, you know, it's like the, the husband's the one to talk at the bank. She just stands there. Mm-hmm. It's her account. I'm like, I listen into these, like, I like observing people. (laughs) So I listen into conversations and I see how social dynamics happen here. And it's like, it's your bank account, it's your money, but your husband's the one like managing it. Um, Roles like household things that are less, physically strenuous are more 
for women, right? It's like women here must cook. <laughs> you don't cook. You're not a woman, right? And it's like, no, you know, I, most chefs in the world are men. I just proved you wrong, <laughs> right? Like, but there's still that perception that like in the family home, the gender norms will be still very misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah. We'll still be respected and honored. And like, that's just part of our culture. Right. right? So there's almost like that, that um, excusing of patriarchy and misogyny of like, Oh, well that's just our culture. Mm. And I'm like, mm, no, that's not just our culture. <laughs> that's somebody else's culture that got put on ours. It's interesting that you say that because I mean, there are so many uh, layers to what black culture is now. It's almost uh, where do you start with some things? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, with colorism, sure. Uh, it's very easy to understand how that uh, facilitated throughout time and throughout history. Um, but maybe not as much with uh, the way we view our bodies otherwise. Maybe with size, maybe with you know, other, other aspects of what we deem attractive or what we deem as acceptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I've, I think I've, I've been exposed to a lot of beautiful like art and um, culture that is kind of like against the grain. Mm -hmm. And in seeing that, I think, you know, there's a lot of, even, even back in the day when it was a lot more like hunting and gathering, right, out in the fields, and that was kind of like everybody's life. Right not just like a class uh, thing. Um, you know, in, in places like the Caribbean, you wanted a, 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 a big bone, thick woman, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like even in certain Asian countries, being, being very thick was desirous because it showed in some ways um, status. Yeah. And, and health, right? So luxury, luxury. We, it, yeah, it's like, oh, you thick, you you could eat, you got food, <laughs> right? That's that's kind of what that meant is like, oh, you got food. Yeah. Um, so there's value to you because you have resource. Um, and I think we've just we've we've moved away from that. We've moved away from accepting all all shapes and sizes and kind of prescribe to, the, to some bullshit. I yep. can't even go into what the bullshit is because we all know it. So with all that, <laughs> we agree we do all know it. But with, um, with that, how did you, uh, I guess, navigate, I guess, falling in love with uh, the body yeah. of wanting to pursue it as a profession because you said earlier you were already going to med school 
I was I was pre med, so I was I was pre med. Oh, um, there was still a, a fascination of, of love there. Where did that really come from? Um, honest, uh, honestly, the the most honest answer here is orgasm. Hmm. Um because I, I found it fascinating that the body could have such an experience. Like this electric energy just builds, 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 and then it like flows and you're fine. <laughs> right. Um, and like I said, early on, I was, I was exploring my body. Um, and that is probably because I had been sexually abused um, as, as a child and did not know at the time, <laughs> but now I know. Um, so it all kind of makes sense, um, in hindsight, but for me, I think that was one of the, the main things that I was like, this, this is interesting. This, this reaction is interesting. Um, then I had a lot of like just connection to the earth in Puerto Rico and like home remedies. And my grandmother and I would make remedies using herbs and, and natural plants. Um, and then I started learning like, oh, if you mix these things, you can get the body to react a certain way, right? Um, and look a certain way, right? And and like with aging and with growth, you kind of get the criticisms that come with family, right? It's like, oh, like you're a little pudgy, right? right? Yeah. Or like, oh, this one's growing like super fast and, and oh, that one's a little delayed, right? And like the family will talk about this at like uh, gatherings uh, out yeah. loud and yeah. Yeah. regardless of them saying it to you or not, you're fucking listening. Right. Yeah. So I started to, yeah, feel some insecurities around my body. I was a 12 year old with fucking size D tits. <laughs> so, um, and there was envy from like my sister who didn't have boobs at the time. And, you know, it, it was like, what's happening with, with my body? What is this thing? Why are all these reactions happening? How can we manipulate it for our, our better good? Um, and that's really where it started. And I just kept going, you know, and then it's like, you learn about the orgasm cycle and then you learn about the sleep cycle and, and like anything that I can get my hands on that has to do with wellness or how the body reacts to food or essential oils. Like I just find it fascinating. Anything, even this whole pandemic that's happening right now with the coronavirus and how people are relating to their bodies through it all is fascinating to me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like isolate yourself But isolation has a physical repercussion, 
Right. Right. When you isolate yourself physically, there is skin hunger. There is um, lower levels of oxytocin and norepinephrine and like happy hormones that are, are, are happening. So, and also the fear, right? The fear that kicks in and it's like, Ooh, my body might work against me. Right. And I think that a lot of the mentality in our, in our society is that is like our bodies working against us. So we have to hack it. Right. And the, and the, and if you think about people who are trying to manipulate their bodies in a specific way at the gym to like lose weight or gain muscle or like whatever, um, on some level, right? There's something that you don't like. Okay. Right? Yeah. How you relate to not liking that, I think is the more important piece to it. Right, that like the psychological dimension to that, and not a lot of people look at that. Mm. That I'm making this a decision from a place of power versus um, scarcity or limitation or uh, comparison. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's. You said so much there. It's like it's almost um, where to start in the response. Um, I guess I want to start from the beginning, you know, come sprinkle my way back through some of those other things. So, starting with um, the orgasm, what was that first orgasm experience like, and what were your feelings or thoughts? about it pre versus post because i'm sure there was uh, conservative messaging around sexuality so how did you feel about it before you found that space and you know what mm-hmm. the process after i think i was so young <laughs> when i started to explore that i wasn't aware then that what I was even exploring was sexual, right? Um, It's just like, you look in a mirror, you're like, oh, there's these two darker spots on my chest. I wonder what they do, (laughs) right? Um, Because we're all flat chested when we're little, (laughs) right? And, you know, you you wipe in the bathroom and it doesn't feel good or it does feel good or you hold your pee too long and it feels good and you're like oh what's that mm-hmm. and you just start exploring right and it literally happens from from infants like babies are doing this right and like we socially like curb that behavior mm. right like only do that in private, only don't, or don't do that, right? Like most people here don't do that. Right. Right. It's like the more forward thinking parents who are like, oh, just do that in private, but we're social beings. So 
most of my moments of curiosity came from like, oh, that looks different on you than it does on me. Mm. With cousins or, you know, my sister or like the neighbor's kid. So how do you think that should be more socialized in our current society, especially now with, you know, think about the virus, the coronavirus? Yeah. How do we make that more normal? I think one of the biggest opportunities we have with this corona situation is that we have time and time is the one resource we don't get more of ever like it happened it happened yesterday was yesterday there won't be a yesterday tomorrow you know Mm -hmm. um and because of that i think so many of us in this day and age are like just running and not processing and not going inward and really looking at ourselves. And I think that that's, that's what the beauty of this opportunity is, is that we get time to just like go in on ourselves, like get to know you, get to know your body, get to experience like another type of orgasm. There are many types of orgasm. There are many, many ways you can make you or someone else come, you know, and I think that, um, that's just part of it, right? The pleasure part. But I think the honoring of our temple at that level where we really get to know it, where we really listen to it mm-hmm. is essential. I think So many of us keep going, going, going beyond our body's limits and the mind and the body don't always communicate well. That's, that's my two cents for now. Right. So where does the uh, difference between like sexual wellness, like where, where's the difference between sexual wellness and, um, different ethnic or sexual oriented communities? How does it differ for someone who's uh, Latinx versus someone who's Black versus someone who's uh, bi or transition? You know, how, how does that differ? Uh, I think intersectionality is real. <laughs> and we each have a set of intersections that happen in our identity, right? I'm, I'm queer and I'm Latinx and I'm, you know, for the most part identifying as a hippie, (laughs) right? Like, and you have all of these identities, pansexual, poly, that overlap and intersect. And some bring you some privilege and others oppress you further, right? In terms of like societal perception. Um, So I think culturally that that's, that's really real, right? Um, 
just to name something, you know, not even sexual, like a dude pissing on the street. If the dude is white, he's likely to receive less shit from a cop than if he was black. A black dude doing that, you going to jail. Mm. You know, white dude, he might get a citation, might not even get that. Right. And that's just the realities of living in, in America in these days. But our bodies are being policed differently, too. Right. Like. Even worrying about the color of our skin. That internalized. Cultural. Fear in some ways. Right. Like there's a fear around like. blackness right whether it's like people of another culture perceiving blackness as a threat or us of color being like oh shit I gotta protect myself because I'm too black right that that like my blackness is being used against me on a daily Mm -hmm. you know and I don't know that I have never lived that personally, but I've witnessed it daily with family members, with friends, with partners. Um, And I think that whether we see it, want to acknowledge it or not, all of these social structures have a psychological impact on us. And there's internalized racism that we feel towards ourselves at times. There's internalized colorism that we feel at times. There's internalized body shaming and hatred that we feel at times. And I think we really just got to get real about it and say it happens, right? It's, it's almost like part of the process of figuring out this vessel called your body. Um, but if we don't talk about it, if we don't have conversations like this one, where we actually shine light on these issues, I don't, I don't know how, how we can move forward in a way that's body positive and affirming and celebrating and loving. So I agree with him, but as a community, as a world community, uh, this spans a little further than just American society. Mm-hmm. As a world community, how do we uh, have this conversation so that we can affect uh, more of a lasting change? Like, sure, the first step is being able to talk, but what do we want to do through talking? Like, what's our next step? Heal. <laughs> Healing. You know, it's, it's um, as much as, as this pandemic is impacting us, it's also like giving Earth a chance to breathe without us, like, choking it a bit, you know? Um, and I think similarly, like, we have an opportunity to allow the human collective to breathe around this 
um, issue of the body, right? Like there's been so much binding of it. Um, so I think it's gonna look different everywhere. And I think that that's like the most non-American thing I can say, right? It's like, we actually have to slow down enough to like meet people where they're at mm -hmm. and start the conversation where they're at, not where we America, Americans, DNEs sees it necessary to be started. Right. So what are some things you do for your own personal wellness? Oh, my own personal wellness. This is a journey and I am glad to be having it with myself. Um, and I think especially right now, movement is really important. I know that people are chilling and Netflixing and don't get me wrong, after dinner I Netflix too. But connecting to our bodies through movement, really getting physical with yourself, right? Whether that's going for a walk or, you know, doing some jumping jacks or just doing some like dancing, like just like this, look right here, like, mm, 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 mm. shake the, sh just a little shimmy, just a little shimmy, just a little shimmy, right? Um, but I think that remember your body is not working against you. Like your body is so brilliant. Like it does so much for us without asking for shit from us, right? Like half of the functions in our body just take air, not even food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's literally not asking us for anything. Um, and it's so efficient and self-sufficient. Um, and I think celebrating that is something I do daily, right? Daily gratitudes. I have daily times when I do stretching, um, meditating. I do sunbathing 20 minutes a day, y'all. Hey. Depression is real. And I sunbathe because, you know, I'm vegan. I take my B12, my, my D once a week because I'm on that high dose. And um, yeah, but I still make sure to get sunshine because like ain't nothing but sunshine gonna make me radiate more bright, <laughs> right? In my world, that works for me. But find the things that make you radiate, right? That make your body feel alive, that make you feel invigorated and energized. Um, meditation. I meditate and that's a way that I definitely connect with my body. Um, I visualize every chakra and go down and then come back up and then go back down and come back up how many ever times I need to until my body feels zen. Mm -hmm. um, Self-pleasure, right? Like there ain't nothing going to give you a little oxytocin boost better than an orgasm right. oh. or a hug. But right now we are in social distancing. So the orgasm from self-play is safer. Um, 
So I think those, those are major. I do keep a schedule. Mm. I do go to bed at a certain time. I do wake up at a certain time. And I think that's what works for me, right? I have limited number of spoons every day. And when my spoons are done, they're done. Your spoons? My spoons, yes. It's a theory. The spoon theory is about energy. And it is a theory that says we only have but so many spoons in a day okay. of energy. So if you spend your spoons, what are you going to do? That's, that's when we go into like fatigue. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and especially for people who deal with chronic pain, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, anything like this, as I do, um, you want to be mindful of your spoons, right? And I think that that's actually something we should all be mindful for. Like none of us should be pushing our bodies beyond its limit because our body does create resentment, mm. right? And you might not see it or feel it, but you will, <laughs> right? And like, you might not connect it to your body having resentment, how you're, you know, that cough or like that indigestion or whatever you're experiencing. But there's, there's definitely physical imprinting to our lived experiences. And when you know that, and when you know that you only have but so many spoons, it's like, there is nothing in this world worth me sacrificing this vessel this temple that I have mm -hmm. not a job you only get one you, you only get one and then you really start thinking if it's not helping my body then what is it doing self-destruction you're headed for self-destruction self-harm and that's one of the words that people just don't want to talk about you know, when it comes to the body is, you know, self-harm and all the ways in which we do socially even self-harm. Um, it's become socially acceptable to physically self-harm. Like maybe not mutilating, like cutting yourself, that's still socially unac un unacceptable. But how is that different from eating something that you know is going to cut you from the inside out. Because yeah. it's so good. That's what they'll say. I but, know. So uh, typically like, um, you know, on that, on that note, what would your clients most commonly come see you for? Um, well, you know, I specify and specialize uh, my practice in serving people of color, uh, queer, LGBTQIA, um, mostly gender non-conforming, trans-identified folks. And there is a, 
a slew of issues, right, that that community specifically faces mm -hmm. um, around the body. And it, it's one of the reasons why I love working with them, right? It's, it's because how much more powerful does a journey get than to have your vessel, you know, that you came in to this planet with be one way when you're born and you choose, right? Like because of who you are innately, right? To, to, to manipulate and, and morph it into something completely new that you envision for yourself, the you that you see and, and witnessing that and holding people through their emotions through that, through the meanness of society through that, um, reminding them of their brilliance through that, that is pure fulfillment for me. Because you can't get braver than that. What's one of the, I guess, hardest hurdles for those clients to get over when you're working with them? Um, you know, right now in our in our in our world, I think there's more people who are identifying as gender non-conforming and choosing very deliberately how they want to be addressed in terms of like their gender um, pronouns and um, their names. And I think having that external recognition of someone using the right pronoun, of someone using the right name is so profound. Um, and especially when it comes from your family. And I think that that's one of the issues that a lot of clients that I've had and, and currently have are struggling with is like, I know who I am. Why the fuck can't they see it? Why the fuck can't they accept it? Like, why won't they use the right pronoun or, or call me by my name? right and it's this like erasing that happens constantly right that is I think one of the biggest issues the second I would say is like feeling safe in this world And I think that that's one that, regardless of who's listening right now, we can all relate to that, right? Um, and especially right now, given, given COVID-19, yeah, we can all really relate to that. And, and that's kind of the bigger call here is this is a time for us to really ground ourselves in that we are safe in our bodies. 
right? And like ground ourselves in like the magic that is our bodies. Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, when you said uh, erasure a moment ago, the image that came up uh, was Muhammad Ali when he first transitioned his name and how people refused to call him by his moniker. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this resilience, this disrespect that people sort of feel is what you once were is not, um, you can't be anything other than what I knew you were at. Yeah. Um, why do you think that persists through our culture, even though one of the most fabled and famous type of stories you see is the transformation story? Yeah. I think part of it, and these words are resonating so loud for me, and I, I just have to say it because it's, it's for someone listening. And I was this week talking with a client and in their session, they said that their mother used the following expression. Um, like I brought you into this world and as quickly as I brought you in, I'll take you out. Mm -hmm. So old mama saying, right. That's what old mama saying. And that old mama saying, has caused so much harm in this world, right? Because there is almost like this imposition of, you know, I created you and therefore you have to perform and look and be what I imagined you to be versus allowing something to bloom and blossom and reveal what it is to you, right? It's that instant gratification that we are constantly seeking of give me what I want now. Right. Be what I want now. Um, and, and there's no room within that for you to have your own voice. Well, man, I right? It's very... That's just a part of uh, the, uh, what is it called when you're self-absorbed? Narcissism? Narcissism of having children. You know, it's wanting to see yourself replicated, not necessarily you wanting to allow this person to be a person. You want to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge thing. Like I, I write about this in my book. I'm like, there's a whole chapter, fuck motherhood. And the reason why I have a chapter called fuck motherhood is because the reasons why we have children and how we relate to motherhood are so skewed in a fucked up way that is, is harmful to both you and the children like neither one of us is benefiting from these ar archaic um, imprintings of what 
motherhood and having a child is about. Right. Well, I was going to wait to get into the book, but since you brought it up, let's get into it. Like, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it was a perfect drop. Yeah. So, um, what are some of those things that, you know, are archaic or outplayed or uh, cliches in our society? What, what do you go into in that regard? I mean, I think archaic things are, you know, the way we're marketed bodies, right? Like that's, that's very archaic at this point. Like, I'm sorry, I do not find tall, blonde, thin women remotely attractive. I don't care of all the supermodels. That's their look. Good luck in life. May God be with you. If you love your body, great. I want you to love your body, but I am tired of being told that I have to love your body and want my body to look like yours. Right. Um, so I think that that is like the most archaic. <laughs> um, and there's been renditions, right? Like it's, it's, it hasn't always been like this tall, blonde, thin woman, but it has been like, this is the look, right? Back in the, the 70s, Betty Page or Marilyn Monroe. Um, you know, there's always been a look to aspire to. And I think- I, Of sorts to, uh, to follow as the status quo or the mm -hmm. standard of beauty. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I'm here to say, fuck the standard of beauty, create your own standard, meet your own guidelines. And that is actually what's going to make you the happiest. Yeah. That's right. and why I had you on. Um, that I named this podcast after my book, Love Thy Body, which is entirely uh, fine art news collection, um, social commentary, sort of on the same subject. Mm -hmm. you know I initially didn't even intend to make a book about that you know I just wanted to show my perspective as an artist yeah it really came more apparent to me as I reflected on the conversation the lessons I learned working with all these different models uh, about how they saw themselves versus how the world saw them typically anyone who saw the photos that I did with them, they were enamored with the model or the, the person in the photo. Um, but typically the story behind me getting the photo was tumultuous, be it a cancellation, be it um, they didn't feel comfortable with themselves or needed a pep talk or I had to psychologically make them forget about everything that they were doing to make this shot that they eventually loved. Uh, yeah. So uh, insecure mm -hmm. to a degree uh, about the way that they looked or the way that um, people would perceive them, um, be it professionally or, you know, through their other relationships or just not looking and living up to the standard of uh, what we consider to be 
the beautiful people in our society. Yeah. Yeah. I totally am curious also, like, how was it? Because I've seen this, like, when a, when a client finally, like, realizes their, their brilliance or, like, their beauty, like, how was it for you as an artist once they saw that final product and they were, like, in love with it and they're like, is this really me? Oh, it's interesting because... To witness that. I have to do that um, while I'm shooting often. So for me, there's this point in the beginning of my shoot, I don't really typically show much to the client or to the talent, and I don't really ask much of them initially. Um, I try to figure out really who they are and what it is about their character that I want to pull out of them or what was resonating with me to them in, in that situation. And then um, once I know I'm starting to find them and I've got all my technical stuff right, I know it only takes a, a little bit of a pep talk and a little psycho uh, psychological play to get them in the space that I want them to be in. Like, oh, mm. if I, if I know I got the shot 10 minutes ago, that was a, a nice shot. I maybe won't show them initially, but oh, mm, I can't show you that just you're not, you're not ready for that. You're not gonna know how to act. I, say, I'm, I gotta shoot from <laughs> So, you know, as I'm, I'm going and I'm shooting, and then I finally, you know, let that anticipation build and I show them something that looks nice, that represents them in a way that they didn't feel like they could look. It, uh, really almost immediately boost their confidence it's like mm -hmm. it's like an orgasm or it's like getting high or something it's like that endorphin boost hits and then yeah uh, they're more willing and more eager to push further to be more um adventurous with uh giving their best to the shoot yeah yeah, yeah. in fact i think that's actually how we met i was um guest speaking on a panel yes. at a conference and mm -hmm. you were one of the participants uh, of that. I was. Mapping your uh, desire. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I felt totally out of place. <laughs> um, at the time, I had my book. Um, I hadn't published it. I hadn't really shown it to a lot of people. Um, and I was asked to do the sex conference as a guest speaker panelist. Uh, again, at the time, I wasn't doing anything sex related. I didn't have any content or any posts that was related to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was asked to be the representative for the cis straight male part of the population or part of the conversation. My work as a new photographer, and you know, sitting on there with Marla and uh, Terry Grant and uh, two other sex experts, and they're like, you know, one deals with trauma victims, and one is a LBGT 
ABC XYZ uh, activist, and then this person does uh, psychology, and this person is the conference owner. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I shoot nudes. I shoot naked people sometimes as an artist. Um, I didn't really appreciate that people really struggle with their image and with feeling confident, with feeling good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Whether it's on photo or just in everyday life. And yeah. Sort of almost immediately after that class, just the response I got from everyone in there, because I was frankly surprised when they cared about us in the room. Um, they were so receptive and so moved, it sort of pivoted me to being this body of content, more towards yeah. sexual wellness, more towards body positive, mm. really expanding that conversation. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I remember that conference so well. And I, I remember like really enjoying your perspective on things and Like, I even think about how much conversation about body positivity happens around the female body mm-hmm. versus like the male body. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, one of the things throughout the years helping so many people, um, a lot of men come like cis cis hetero men come to me for um you know problems with functional arousal Mm -hmm. um issues Uh, i wouldn't say erectile dysfunction (laughs) because they're a little on the younger side um but definitely some form of you know having a hard time having an erection or keeping an erection and then um just a lot of questions about penis size yeah and penis shape and penis like look just like the look of it and it's like um one of the things i've i've said this in podcasts and and other things that i've done is like for for anyone having sex with someone with a penis, regardless of genders and orientations and whatnot. They cannot change that thing, (laughs) right? It's like you are born or it's created for you and it's like one shot deal, right? Right, like there is no like "Mm, tip, just cut a, a couple inches off the tip or like put a couple inches on it or like make it a little thicker, like, there, this isn't like a customize a penis, right. like it humanity, work. right? It doesn't work like that. So I think also there's just been so much damage done to like the male psyche that then perpetuates the patriarchy and the misogyny and like. Well, I think it's interesting because it's um, the male, the female body has been explored, venerated, and exploited. Yes. Right? So we're very, very comfortable in whatever form 
seeing and dealing with and judging female body. And mm-hmm. Male body, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. So like with men, you don't have uh, really any other conversations that are normalized with women. You don't have really any other actions that are normalized with women. And then the way our society looks at men is typically like, put your clothes on instead of a thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. the, the daily affirmations, I think that women get about what beauty is in whatever genre or subgenre they are, because we know that mainstream America says one thing and then black mm-hmm. something else and then Dominican Latina America says something else. And then, you know, there are all these subgroups that say what they think is attractive mm-hmm. archetypal for you know their groups. Make the love last longer by signing up and subscribing to the Love Thy Body Patreon page at patreon.com backslash love thy body. You'll have access to behind the scenes footage, workshops, and sexy extras you won't want to miss. Sign up at patreon.com backslash love thy body. We typically don't have that same sort of messaging with, with men, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's sort of frustrating and interesting. With the, As a man, you don't know... I'll say like this. As women, it's not uncommon or it's not... Deemed it's not okay for women to go to the bathroom to help each other with their bras or with their periods or yeah, yeah, have those yeah. type of conversations. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a, a man or as a boy, even, even when you're little growing up, there's certain, so many things that just aren't okay to talk about or explore or, you know what I'm saying, to even behind closed doors have conversations with your friends. It's like so many things are taboo. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. You know, girls get the opportunity to really explore the feelings of situations, whereas boys are unwittingly expected to know everything. And because they think they're supposed to know, they don't feel like they can ask. And then that's mm-hmm. that grows on your shoulder because you can't ask because you can't not look like you don't know. And now this cycle of ignorance (laughs) toxic male ego and uncomfortableness around oneself one's body and how to use it all begin to like roll and spiral yeah develop yeah and i i see it i see it every, every day you know um so i think that part of it is like we we have to have 
talks with with dudes you know and and do the adjacents and anyone who has a penis or um grew up with a penis you know like we all need to have these conversations and it and it and it's partly like we all have to do our part right so i can start the conversation with for example my nephews who i talk to about sex all the time right i've asked my oldest nephew who's 17 like maybe 20 times this year if he still remembers how to put on a condom correctly and I ask him, how's his development going? And if he wants to talk about anything that has to do with exploring his body, right? And it's like, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to grab at having the conversation, but it normalizes that they can have the conversation, that it's okay to bring this topic up for discussion. Um, And I've seen the impact of that in how, you know, body positive my nephew is and how he's just loving himself even as he's like growing and his body's shifting and like his voice is deepening and like all of these changes are going on um I'm so proud to say like he is loving himself throughout this process and I know I didn't not not the way I'm witnessing the next generation. And I think that's, that's, that's the best we can do is like generation by generation, create a shift that will eventually lead to a society that is fully embracing, celebrating everybody for their bodies, exactly how they are. So here's a, I guess maybe sort of a controversial question. When you talk about uh, loving your body and loving it exactly how you are, mm-hmm. and on the other side of that coin, you look at people who are or want to transition, how does that, that sort of, uh, doesn't match up? It does. You know what I'm saying? It does and it doesn't, right? I think that for someone who is transitioning, right, there is a disconnection, right, of who they are and what physically is present. Okay. And we are our own masterpieces. You as an individual know and your body knows exactly who you are, the perfect size, the perfect shape, the perfect everything, right? The perfect composition of who you are to be vibrating at 100% authenticity. And What I see part of our journey here is removing all the shit (laughs) that gets dumped on us that is 
moved us away from that 100% authenticity. So for some people, that is going to look like I am going to completely transition. Right? For some people, that means I am going to explore the gray and figure out something that's no one else's but mine. Right? Like I was using the word fluid when people were like, you're what? <laughs> fluid? What's that's? I don't know what that even fucking means was what people were telling me. And I would have to explain what it meant to me. And it wasn't based on a textbook definition. It was based on like, this is how Dionese expresses. And I like people. And now the word is pansexual. For the very same thing that I was talking about 15 years ago, but I was calling it fluid because that's the language I had access to. Right. So, yeah. I think that that there's there's a way in which we are we are just trying to get back into alignment and like when we actually tune in tap in and listen to our bodies our soul then we we can actually make adjustments and it doesn't mean that you don't love what's there now or what was then it's just you're getting back in alignment. So I lost 70 pounds without trying. Wow. It just, it just dropped off my body over the course, I'd say six months. Always struggled with weight. Always was a little thicker on the sides, you know, like, I have meat and not to the point where someone would call me like morbidly or obese or whatever medically, but I always came out as like obese on like the BMI thing. Psychologically, what that does to someone, it, it has an impact, right? To be called obese. Um, I don't think that's body positive language. I think socially we need to shift that shit. Um, when I lost the weight, I didn't even know how to react to the weight loss. Cause some people were like, Oh my God, you look great. Some people were like, Oh my God, you look like you have AIDS. Um, and like, <laughs> here I am just trying to figure out why the fuck I lost 70 pounds in six months. And it wasn't like you didn't change your diet, you weren't exercising different, just... I had changed a little bit of my diet, but not in any drastic way that I hadn't done it before mm -hmm. to get such a drastic result. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so it was like, well, slow down, tune in, tap in, and what, what is my body saying to me? And my body was like, we lost some excess weight that we no longer need. Go. Right. Speaking of go, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, you're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. 
So, welcome back. We're back from our break, and uh, we've been having a great conversation with Denise. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the cool hidden perks of what you do. The hidden perks of what I do. Okay. Um, I think that, first of all, I am so blessed uh, to get to do something that I love to do, um, to get to be of service in the way that I am in this world. So first of all, let me just say that before I say, I get to work from home. Like, I know a lot of people right now are like, oh my God, we're transitioning to online therapy or like online this or online that. And I'm like, I've been online for 10 years, y'all. <laughs> so this is just like smooth transition for me because there's no transition, right? I've been online this whole time. So I think that that's, that's a huge perk. I think part of the perks are getting to be an educator. I think a lot of time in my specialty within uh, counseling, therapy, life coaching, whatever you want to call it, um, that I do is that you get to educate people about their bodies and about sex and about like not just the mechanical things but also the intellectual stuff that sometimes people don't don't think about um like are you sapiosexual maybe you need a little mental stimulation to get you going um and playing with people in that way and that like let me help like amp up your skill sets and like amp up your, your know-how um, is really fun. It's, it's really, really fun. And then getting to see people come home to themselves, like that moment where someone feels whole and you see that unfolds in front of your eyes is is magical um i love being able to bring a client back to knowing their power and their beauty and um, their brilliance and then like you know years down the line like i have a client that i worked with for a, a long time ongoing um and you know she has the perfect relationship that works for her and she's like super happy and they've been together for a year and this is after having been single like nothing like no boyfriend sex partner nothing for 15 years right and it's like to see such a stark like change in someone's life of having like literally energetic blockage to love that doesn't allow them to have anything for 15 years. And then all of a sudden in a, in, in the course of like two, three years, they've had all the lovers they've wanted. They've found the perfect partner. They have just come fully into their power in, in so many different areas of their life to see that 
now from afar where I don't have to be doing anything to, to make that um, blossom. That's beautiful. That's, that's where it's like, I did my job well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's clearing all the cobwebs. That's relaying some new pipe. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. some new water pressure pumps and some filters. That's, that's a whole lot. Right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I like to, to really be clear with people and, um, especially my clients, but even if you're just asking me about my work, it's like, I believe in, in tilling the soil and uprooting all the weeds and really getting the right pH in your soil so that once you do plant something in there, it is going to fucking blossom. Mm-hmm. Like there is no other option but it's a blossom in that soil. But a lot of the time we try all this superficial shit, not getting down to the roots. We got dry ass soil trying to plant some some produce and then we wonder why nothing growing. So they wet. You gotta moisten it up. It's gotta be moist. Gotta till it. Gotta till it. It's gotta be it's gotta be moist if you gonna till it. Mm-hmm. Can't till that soil dry. So come, come get some water. <laughs> I I got water pH, today. pH fresh. Yep, alkaline. I keep it alkaline. Alkaline, alkaline. Yes, I do. I always drink alkaline water. Yeah. Um, it's so good for you. So, so how yeah, this work like affected your personal life and your sex life. Um, I think a lot of people find me interesting, (laughs) but at the same time, a lot of people find me intimidating, Mm. right? So, um, it it takes a certain type of, of player, you know, like Mm. playing in the game of life player, um, to... <laughs> to be able to like meet me there, to meet me where I'm at, and um, without feeling insecure or like intimidated or you know any of those things. Um, but it just allows a lot more transparency, I think, in relationship for me, where I can just be honest of like, today my clit's not feeling anything. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's not you. It's my clit. I don't know what's happening. Let's move on. No, right? Today it worked fine. Yesterday, last week, I still remember last week. But today, nothing. Exactly. Um, and, and to have this level of honesty and, and humor, right, to sex, I think also where it's like, ooh, you know, I, I couldn't climax because I had to fart. <laughs> and it's like... Great. Why didn't you just let it rip? That's what I would say. Um, But I think that there's, there's a lot of like other intimacy that comes with sex Mm -hmm. when you're not so um, cookie cutter, like it has to look and be presented in a, in a, in this beautiful platter. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I don't mind 
the messiness of, of, of sexuality and sex within all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I welcome it in many ways. Um, yeah, so I think I'm, if anything, I'm just like more accepting and open-minded. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that I'm any more open-minded than we all have the potential to be. Yeah. So with that said, you're queer. I identify as queer, yes, queer. So explain to us the difference between bisexual and queer and like what the, mm-hmm. I guess, variation for that. Yeah, I think there's a, um, really the, the biggest distinctions are uh, queer is an umbrella term, bisexual is not, right? Um, Queer is a reclaimed term. I think bisexual, we're still trying. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of stigma around bisexuality. I think um, personally, because for me, I knew very early on that it had zero to do with someone's gender or their genitalia, um, whether or not I was attracted to them. I, I prefer queer because queer is more about identity. It's more about community. It's more about um, the collective in many ways, mm-hmm. whereas bisexuality or the term bisexual is very much like you like men and you like women you like penises and you like vaginas and that's all you like and the misconception that you like them at the same time and that you're greedy and that you are confused and you just don't know what you want (laughs) right like that is like the biggest misconception of bisexuality and on the flip side with the word queer, it was used against people who were of the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. Um, very similarly to the way, um, you know, spick was used against the Latinx community. Um, and yeah, there's just something about the term that, that resonates for me having the identity of Latinx um, coming from growing up being called Hispanic and like also kind of doing a reappropriation in that identity of like, I'm not Hispanic, I'm Latinx. Um, I'm not, you know, bi, I'm fluid. And then from fluid going into I'm queer. um, Just felt right for me. Um, and it's because it doesn't have to do with, with gender. It doesn't have to do with anything other than like the person's soul and how they embody life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you embody life in such a way that it 
makes me feel alive, you know, guess what? I might find you attractive (laughs) and might want to be intimate with you in some capacity. So uh, queer comes off as the the lifestyle, the thought provocative sort of um, very nuanced Mm-hmm. You know, detailed term and by is the the party what is it by sort of term. I mean I think by is, so, is a very like, mainstream term. Like a like a bar term almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I think you and your bestie at the bar look across the room and say who's hot. Him, her, them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, like, I I know a lot of people who identify as bisexual, and there's definitely a lot of intricacies to that identity as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not knocking the identity. I think that there is still a lot for us to unravel culturally around identity, specifically the bi identity, even within the queer community, right? Because... Part of it is um, when you're in an oppressed community and you witness privilege within some of that, it becomes really hard to not call it out and not in some ways be jelly right like there's just like ways of of humanity interacting that it just happens like it's like if you transition from from female to male you will have male privilege you think i know because people who i've witnessed transition have mentioned it if they're if they're aware right of their privileges before and after um you can see it you can feel it right like going out with someone who was a woman once and now has transitioned to a man i feel the difference <laughs> how so it's fine um the way that they're addressed the level of, of respect that they get the amount of airspace that they get um, you know, it, it, it changes, right? Um, so when they transitioned, uh, to a male, they were given more space and more. Yeah. More respect questioned less in, in many regards. Like, you know, you just, you just get certain male privileges and I would say it's, it's the same when the opposite like even within the trans community there's a lot of you know um strife at times right because it's like this person who has transitioned now has more of a voice than they did before nothing has changed about their message except their gender or like a specific label of identity that they have, right? So I think that 
we also have to be aware that there is like an inner secting of like treatment and privilege in this world and how our bodies are perceived, whether it's on a gender or like masculine, feminine look. Mm-hmm. Um, that causes issues internally within community. <laughs> and we don't want to talk about it. Because it's it's hard. It's hard to say, I think you would not be heard the same way if you weren't trans. Or that if you were a man, your message would be lost. Or because you're a man, people are listening versus I'm, I've been saying the same thing for five years and they're not listening. Right? So like, and this is where we get these like gender animosities and like group and micro aggressions happening internally um, that uh, inhibits us from growing together and it, and it limits us from doing the deeper work together to like shift the collective beyond just our community. Right. Because I think that's an interesting point you make because I would think um, people who identify as women or look as women feel arguably more leeway in regards to what they can do in society and what's acceptable for them to do in society versus gay men, I think, have it a little bit tougher in regards to visibility, what, what is acceptable to see of a gay man. Person. Gay men versus gay women? I, I would agree. So, and I would, I would even say that that's a, it's, it's the same thing with straight men and, and straight women, mm-hmm. right? Like a woman exploring, you know, making out at a bar with her best friend is not an issue. It's like, oh, she had a, gr- she had a drunk moment, right. right? For example, or like, like, ooh, that was a dumb moment, right? whatever even if you're not drinking there you'll find like just some like way of like minimizing it and dismissing it right whereas if a man was to do the same thing a hetero man he's instantly questioned for his orientation and his sexuality and and the validity of his identity as hetero right which is what makes it interesting because when that when we talk about some transition the other way it's seen privileges it's like but then even you know and this is a topic that i've semi-discussed um on on a facebook post is you know trans women have a lot more voice Mm -hmm. than hetero women who have the same message at times interesting Right. And, and it's part, partly because of the days that we're living in. Right. It's partly because yes, they are getting murdered exponentially more than we are. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so yes, that is so true. And we need to continue to elevate the voices of trans women so that 
they stop being the victims of violence in this country. And there is still room to look at why is it that their voices are being heard or listened to more at times or like um, sometimes not even listened to just like they just need to cut through elevated and I think that also in some ways there's like a fetish a fetish of our community like a fetishizing of our community um, that is like okay because you are of this community um, like we're gonna look but it's almost um, look but not listen mm -hmm. does that does that make sense it's yeah. almost like a, a pompous show it's like we're elevating your voice and we're putting you up on these platforms and we're doing all this thing and like cis women are like what the fuck i've been saying the same shit for all this time and then there's animosity there between the cis women and the trans women and we're and i'm over here like y'all we're all getting played <laughs> right like we're not even being listened to like this is all just a, a show a horse and pony show and like it doesn't matter who the fucking pony is like we're a fucking pony right um you know what i'm saying we are we are ponies lined up in the same race whereas i think if we were to be having these conversations of like despite certain voices being elevated how can we make sure that we are being listened to and that we are unified regardless of whether it's a trans woman at the front line or a cis woman or a gay man or a trans man or whatever identity that simply because the message is the truth that's why we're backing it and not because of all of the aesthetics and the boxes and the marketing checklist that it meets for our agenda. So who's, whose agenda should this be on? Is this the minority agenda? Is this the... This is the every goddamn human agenda. Because, like, two things you can't change. You're human, and being human has a sexuality. I don't care if you identify as asexual, pansexual, heterosexual, you have asexuality. This human body comes with a built-in sexual system. So what that has to do with your identity. It has to do with your genitalia. It has to do with your body. It has to do with your mind. It has to do with your spirit. All of those. So what's your, your career journey with life? What have been some of the big, I guess, points or lessons you've navigated that were What were the lessons? Yeah, I mean, what overall, I mean, what have you been 
Man, just tell us a little bit more about like what you're, you're trying to look like. You, you said you realized that you sort of were into personalities a little bit younger. So when did uh, sexual feelings start to come into play? And how was navigating um, those first interactions and relationships? And how is that? Um, that is interesting because I grew up super conservative Pentecostal, like not Pentecostal in the States, Pentecostal in the island. It's very different. Like, and my grandparents were pastors and the church was on our land by, by, by purpose. Right. Um, so I was in church five days worshiping. And the two days I wasn't in church worshiping, I was cleaning the church so that we could worship <laughs> the next day. Wow. Um, so that being said, you know, I grew up witnessing exorcisms of sexual demons, of, you know, homosexuality, for example. And I just want to say I am using like very triggering language in some ways because that's how I received it and how I internalized it. And I'm specifically speaking to people who have had this experience so they know I know where you're coming from. Um, so having so much internalized homophobia, um, shaming around the body right I grew up like I said I had boobs at 12 so what do you do with a 12 year old who has freaking boobs and all the dresses for 12 year olds aren't made for girls with boobs <laughs> right um so I would have to you know because of my grandparents request demand right put paper towels inside my shirts up to my neckline, like all the way up to like my collarbone and cover with a paper towel. The rest of, your the rest of my, my, my chest, right? Like anything, like nothing could show, right? Like my skirts had to be below the knee. I couldn't paint my nails. I couldn't listen to certain music because it was all pagan. <laughs> Um, so that level of restriction to then who I am today, right? Um, the first time a girl kissed me, I remember being like, don't you ever do that again? Um, because I had so much fear that even though we were in a room by ourselves and it was not like something I asked for, like literally I'm sitting on the computer and she just grabs my head and kisses me. <laughs> um, that someone could have seen that and, and gotten the wrong impression and like told my, my family. And like, there was a lot of fear around, around my sexuality and, and, and exploring it. And yet in high school, I started looking at the L word. And how are you when the kiss happened? The kiss happened, I was like 17, 16, 17, right? Um, 
So yeah, it was, it was pretty hard to, to have that, that be my first experience. Um, and then it wasn't until I went off to college that I really felt free enough to, to fully explore it. And not just to explore it, but to start questioning what I grew up on, right? Like all of the beliefs that I grew up on of like, you have to get married and like, you have to have children and like just anything and everything that was like a taught belief. I was like, is this true? Does this have to be true? Does this apply to me? Do I want it to apply to me? And, and it was like, I, I, I'm so grateful that I even felt like I had the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause some of us don't even feel like we have the right to question the beliefs that we were taught growing up. Um, but I just kept questioning and questioning and learning more about other cultures. And I think that I'm so grateful I went to Cornell because the, the amount of things you can study, it's literally like our slogan there is like a place where you can study anything like of any study. Um, and I truly, I got to study everything I wanted to. I, I got to study human sexuality across cultures. I, I got to study policy about human sexuality and how sex ed curriculum gets developed and, you know, the bureaucratic bullshit of our sex ed educational system. Um, And just completely unravel everything from like what I learned in sex ed class to the books that I was reading and who was writing them. Right. Um, And how anthropological anecdotes were collected. Like I just, I, my researcher mind got triggered. And once that mind got triggered, it was like there was nothing I couldn't turn over and take a look inside. Yeah. It's sort of amazing how that happens. I mean, once you, at least for me, I started studying the body relatively young. Uh, my mother was a therapist. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. so I had sort of medical materials laying around. Um, but, you know, that, there was that, there was sports, and um, sexuality was something that um, wasn't something that I was fully, like, taught by anyone, but it was just always sort of like, you know what I mean? And it's uh, interesting to think about, like, once that little bit of an opportunity to like read about something in sexuality that wasn't strictly rhetoric or strictly opinionated really kind of sparked an interest in how can I get to know how can I look at the body and what expressing Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about art. When you look at like the Renaissance era, as an example, which is probably the most known era in Western history, uh, you see how much they uh, celebrated the body with sculptures and pictures and you know paintings and all that kind of stuff, and how much detail they went into with like the muscles and 
the anatomy mm-hmm. based on like geometrically accurate anatomy. Yeah. Really show like a love and a care for the understanding of the, the imagery behind what it talks about. Yeah. So that's sort of where my research started and continued to develop and became more and more passionate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because currently, like, my ph- photographic addiction, um, and it's been this way for, for the past couple of years, um, I'm, I'm obsessed with the lover's gaze, mm. right? And, like, capturing the lover's gaze um, and just throughout history, like, in you know Hindu and, and Chinese art, there's there's a lot of capturing of, of that lover's gaze um, in the art, and it's it's my current thing that I've been trying to capture in my own life. Yeah, is the lover's gaze. Yeah. So, what would that look like? Um, well, I have I have a picture. <laughs> I worked on um but like I think I just I like get taking like really candid pictures um and then kind of playing with light and dark to kind of oh, that's nice. capture a little bit of um the gaze or like even here, there's like our eyes aren't even open, but there's just something about mm. the positionality of like two beings magnetically connecting energetically, whether that's through the eyes or just like energy. That I live for that that shot. Um, yeah, these days. Okay. Yeah, good. Good stuff. Yeah, like a perfect working uh, relationship situation. Oh, like a work relationship or like a relationship relationship? Your whole life, so... Oh, okay. Um, I think I have a pretty good good setup right now. Um, I'm pretty close to, like, ideal. Um, I think... You know, I get to live right by the ocean right now. <laughs> so that's an ideal setup. Um, and continuing to expand the work that I do, you know, helping more people, I think, um, is always my, my goal. Um, but at the same time, knowing that I am making as much of a difference in the world by helping more people as I am by just focusing on me, right? Um, Cause I'm just a reflection, right? So yeah, I think I would have a bit more clients. I like fill, fill my roster up a, a bit more. Um, but it feels pretty ideal. I have an awesome new partner in my life who 
I could not be more happy with and thrilled about being in relationship with. I am developing family and that's very poly, very unorthodox. Um, and I would just continue doing that, you know, building community and building family and, and, and building up the businesses that I've fully committed to bringing into this world. Because um, they're in many ways extensions of me. And, you know, that like, uh, it's almost like a child, but a gift at the same time that you know doesn't belong to you, but you hold it so close to your heart. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great. So I, I, I tell people nothing of mine is mine. Like not the material, not what I say in a session, not this interview. Um, I truly try to be a channel of truth, a channel of the collective um, with the personality of DNAs sprinkled in. You recently started a podcast. That's about it. I did. Uh, so one of you know my businesses is Queer Cultures, and through Queer, queer Cultures, we started a podcast. It is a quest for wellness. Uh, a podcast for the rainbow. That is the name of it. You can find us on Anchor, and you can also, at the time, find us on uh, Spotify. And that is really a podcast about wellness, about what does it look like to pursue wellness as someone who is queer, POC, um, gender nonconforming folks, um, living in 2020 how do you navigate queer love how do you navigate queer family how do you um deal with the 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 very issue like even what we're talking on today's episode here about is um the body and how how do we relate to that and being a company that focuses on wellness and specifically for a, a community that is transitioning, right? Or like living in this, uh, most likely, like most of the people that come to us is like they're transitioning or they're, they've transitioned and they're like trying to find like the fullness of who they are right now, um, now that they've transitioned there's not that many resources out there on like, how do you manipulate your body as a vegan to build muscle or how do you um, take supplements that, or, you know, foods, eat foods that are estrogen producing or testosterone producing. Um, and there's just so many like different layers to wellness, mm -hmm. right? Financial wellness, like, the queer community, we are struggling with money, y'all. Um, and, and this is coming from the community and the assessments that we've done. It's like, okay, we want to bring tools that feel good to you 
And it's not necessarily tools that are queer, right? It's tailored in a way that, that resonates to the queer community that acknowledges their needs and their lived experience having been different. Yeah. So that's, we're on episode two, episode two dropped today, actually. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. I listened to episode one, so I'm excited to hear uh, what you guys do with that. Yeah. Episode two is all about queer love. And in there, we, we go deep. We talk about our own um, experiences and where we are right now, right? Because, like, there's, there's nothing that can get people's attention better than like what's what's alive and happening in your life right now and for me it's how do i love this person who is very new in my life to the best of my abilities in a way that meets their needs in a way that meets my needs in the way that keeps my vision of family going right and what if they're not for this vision right because like that's that's one of the most vulnerable things that we can do is like share our vision with another human because they might not see it they might not believe it they might not agree with it and I, I'm about living in the orange zone of life, right? It's like there's the green. The green is like real comfortable and the red is like, please don't go there because, you know, you might harm yourself by going into red and like um, taking on more than you can handle. But that orange, I feel like is the sweet spot. Light orange, not that dark orange. The light orange. Light orange. Yep. The the, the first Goku power up. <laughs> yep. And it's so good, right? And it's like living in that space of like growth. Like I think that that's really where we grow and, and we're like, oh, okay. And the more, for me, the more vulnerable I am, even with doing this podcast, and, and hosting my own podcast and like sharing my shit there, I think I can only but be an example to others. Right? So do the Facebook Live in the middle of the day without having any plan on what the hell you're supposed to say. Jump on the, the podcast without even knowing what the podcast is about. Right? Like, and, and simply because the invitation was made. Simply because the, the universe somehow orchestrated to say, this, this might be for you. Try this. Look over here. And when those opportunities present themselves, I'm like, I'm listening. I'm here. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Yes, queen. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely took over. Yes. Um, 
So, for my last segment, uh, my last bit, I wanted to uh, an association. So, a what? An association. So okay, association. The actual question is like quick response answers, like first. Okay. That comes okay. And if you like, you can do a reverse. And you can do the same okay. Okay. Um, question one. What's your favorite part of your body? My tits. What is something that you're uncomfortable about yourself? Um, it's sometimes hard to explain to people that although I look really great, um, I live with chronic pain every day and what that like feels and looks like on a day-to-day basis in terms of limitations sexually. What is your favorite dessert? (sighs) Favorite dessert? Jesus. Right now, I would have to say it is the vegan uh, tres leches that I did for my birthday. Mm. Yes, that was delicious. Um. Hot or cold? Hot, all the way. Uh, spicy or mild? Spicy. Submissive or dominant? Switch. Switch. Um. For those of you who do not know what switch means, it means that I do a bit of both. Uh, hard or soft? Soft. Tall or short? Short. Short. Okay. okay. Something you love to see in someone else? Mm. Like physically or physically? Um, I really enjoy people's eyes. Yeah. What's a way people can uh, use their bodies to feel more attractive? Mm, Use their bodies to feel more attractive? Touch it. Anywhere. Your skin is literally your largest sex organ. And your brain is the most important one. So thinking about touching your skin and then touching it and just like going down that road with yourself. Lots of fun. Hey there, folks. Touch it. Tease it. Touch yourself. Please it. And just like acknowledge yourself, right? Like acknowledge your soft skin if you have soft skin. Acknowledge your clear skin if you have clear skin. Acknowledge 
your curls if you have curls like anything and everything that you look outside of yourself and find someone else to be beautiful in that way look for that within you because it's there it's there it's totally there and typically it's there in the moments that you're not paying attention to yourself right and that's just the universe having a laugh. Yeah. So that's what, <laughs> um, when I did my, my workshop uh, at SDSCon, one thing I said, the photo that you like the most typically isn't the photo where you It's when you're like at the club, you're at the party, your mouth is half open, you're singing this song that is your favorite song at the moment, and you're through drinks in, and you're like, that's your favorite shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's the moment that you were really need. Yeah, <laughs> you out of control. About, you were out of control. You didn't care about anything else. You cared about having fun in the moment. Just yeah. Just Yeah. In that space. I think when you ask the question about, like, what attribute do I like seeing in people the most, like, I instantly jumped, like, my mind to, like, joy. Like, when you can just, see like bubbling joy come out of a person for like no reason i'm just like that's a happy human they got it figured out thank god cool that was a good little fun yeah did you have any or are you uh words to yeah okay okay um Okay. All right, some words. I'm 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 coming. I'm coming for words based on my vision board that's in front of me. Okay? All right. First word. Mind over matter. Stack it. Tall. Power. Lift. Life. Um, live. Learn. Love. Like it. Uh, gratitude. Gratitude. Always. Magic. Sex. Black. <laughs> My first thought was dong. Doll? Dong. Dong. Okay. Like it. Green. Green. Leaf. Goddess. Devoured. Hmm. Love. Cereal. Body. Beautiful. And I'm done. Nice. That was fun. It was. Literally, all these words are just like on my vision board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My house is my vision board. I don't know. 
actually just have yeah, I just have one because I I created it in a you know group project mm-hmm. a while ago and now it serves as a good shade for when it's sunny as hell in my direction which I am not complaining about thank you Lord for all the sunshine because <laughs> I like it hot when you said that I was like hot all the time Right. I am I am a Vata Dosha. I'm like, give me heat all day, every day. I'm with that. I love yeah. it too. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you coming to my podcast. Thanks so much for staying tuned for this episode of Love That Body. We had a great, great conversation. And uh, we appreciate your stance and listening. Make sure you like, comment, let us know what you thought. Um, also, if you like the movie artwork you see here, make sure you go check out the website, artistskyway.com, and talk to us. And yeah, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Stay safe.